All right, we're ready to do some studying in the book of Acts today. We're in Acts chapter 5 as we um, continue some things that we're, we're, we're kind of started here at the end of, of chapter 4, and so we will kind of just refresh ourselves of, of the words that Luke mentions here at the end of Acts chapter 4. Got Jason with me today. Jason, you ready to talk about Acts chapter 5? This, man, this is action-packed. Yes. I'm pumped. <laughs> And there's, if this was a movie, you know, so if we're making movies of, or, or maybe episodes of the various chapters, um, this would be a pretty, this would be an action-packed, exciting chapter um, to see on the big screen. Blockbuster hit, for sure. Yes. Yeah. Um, so at the end of chapter 4, um, we're told about how the church, of course, is continuing to grow, and... Uh, one of the things that goes along with a growing church at that time is uh, seeing to the to the needs of all of the the brethren. You had all of these new Christians, these new converts that had come to Jerusalem, and they had you know, lots of them had stayed over from from the Passover till Pentecost, and now that they've become Christians, they're staying there even longer in Jerusalem, and the church is continuing to swell. And so here's all these people who you know. They're not working their day jobs, you know. They would have in their where, where they came from, and there's just all these people, and so there are physical needs that need to be taken care of, even as these people are are worshiping together and they're learning from the apostles and they're observing the signs and the miracles that they were performing, and so the welfare system that God instituted, if you want to call it that, is that uh, Christians are going to take care of Christians. And, and that's what we see very early on here as a, as a pattern here in the book of Acts is that Christians, we, we, we take care of each other. And we see that in verses 32 uh, through 37. We're told about the generosity of brothers and sisters, how they would you know, bring money or bring goods or bring supplies or they would sell a piece of property or sell something and bring that to the apostles. And the apostles, of course, were uh, kind of the, the, the de facto leaders at this point. They trusted them to be able to uh, disperse those things. They brought them to the apostles. We're told there at the very end of the chapter about one guy in particular, Barnabas. Uh, he's singled out for his generosity, and uh, that's kind of some foreshadowing because Barnabas is going to become a major player later on. But the other purpose of telling us about Barnabas is because he's going to be set in stark contrast to these people we're going to read about in chapter 5. And that, of course, is this famous, infamous couple known as Ananias and Sapphira. Um, so let's just read their story here, beginning in verse 1. There was a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, and they sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's just, let's just pause right there for a second. Um, so here's this couple, had a piece of property, Clearly, we're blessed enough to be able to sell that and be able to, to give that to others. Um, and they decide that they are going to, they're not going to give the whole amount of that property. You know, so let's say they got a thousand bucks for this piece of land. All right, we're not going to give the whole thousand bucks. Maybe for whatever reason, maybe we need to keep part of that or you know, we just, we just want to keep part of that. Um, we just ought to say that was not wrong. No, no, it's not. I mean, where do we have any kind of indication here that there was a requirement set out? Uh, no, I mean, we no. don't see any of that. Uh, we, we just see that 
people were taking care of each other. Um, they, they were doing a good job, apparently. Yep. Verse 34 of chapter 4 said there was not a needy person Nobody among need. them. So, I mean, they were doing a good job. And so people were, were giving, it seems like, enough to help. Uh, but there wasn't like a mandate that said you have to sell everything or it's no good. Yeah. This wasn't like a the the, the tithe where you know you, here's a specific amount you have to give. Uh, there was no law that had been set forth by the apostles that you know, if you sell something you have to give all of that. Um, totally fine if they had chose to keep keep back part of this. Um, but it seems as if, as Luke is writing here, especially that, that expression there at the beginning of verse 2, with his wife's knowledge, mm-hmm. it's already kind of a hint that there's kind of something shady going on about this. Yeah, so verse 3, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and he breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. And the young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. So evidently, uh, Ananias uh, lied about uh, the proceeds and what was being given to the apostles for for, for this benevolent act. there's probably a, a good point to be made here, I think, um, about giving. Well, there's probably several things, but here I'll just throw one out that comes to my mind. Um, when he talks here about how while the money was in your possession, you know, what, was it not still your own? And, and I think, to, to me, there's the suggestion there that once, and this isn't the main point Peter's making, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to extrapolate this point. Once that money then is given for this purpose, uh, and it's given to the community, it's given to the church, um, we no longer have possession of that. It then becomes what we often use, the the parlance that we use, we talk about the Lord's money. Mm. Um, And and then it becomes something that, well well, now the the church, the, the collected funds, we're gonna we're gonna use those for the Lord's work in the Lord's way. Uh, that's kind of a side point. Again, that's not the focus here, um, but I think that is kind of worth just drawing out from this, where Peter says, "Hey, when it's yours, it's fine. You do with it whatever you want. That's your choice. If you want to spend your money on, you know, Reese cups and Mountain Dew, <laughs> do it. And I'm all for Reese cups and Mountain Dew. Um, but you know, once it becomes a part of 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 the church's money, the Lord's money." You know, we're we're going to need to use that for specific things that the Lord would would authorize. Yeah, I think that's an important distinction there. Um, we have a stewardship, and we we need to be taking care of what God has blessed us with, and and make sure that we we do what's necessary with it, and that that we are, are mindful of what we're using it for. Yeah. Um, but we do have control, and and there's there's uh there's a lot of responsibility in that. I think and. I think part of, of the issue here is the the responsibility of that. Um, it was mixed with a lot of. I'm seeing some pride in here. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm seeing uh, maybe well not maybe definitely some greed. Yep. Because you know I want to look like I've given it all mm-hmm. while not have having to have given it all. Yes. At the same time. Yes. And and and, and that's probably some. And, and I'm trying to think of kind of parallels to us to our giving. Um, 
we would do well to take note of, of Ananias and then what we're going to see about Sapphira here as well in just a second, that um, while we may be able to, 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 to fool others, um, we're not going to fool God. Yeah. Uh, and in this particular instance, you're not gonna you're not gonna fool a spirit led, a spirit inspired, a spirit directed apostle. You know, this is probably indication that at least one of the gifts that uh, Peter had was this supernatural gift of knowledge. When we read in First mm-hmm. Corinthians chapters twelve, thirteen, and fourteen, that kind of lays out all of the different types of spiritual gifts. Uh, one of them is the gift of knowledge, and and that's not talking about just well, I, I I know all kinds of facts and figures, you know, from mm-hmm. books. It's it, it means having knowledge that just others would not be privy to. And I think this is probably an indication of that uh, being exercised right here. Uh, and f- for good reason. If ever there was an occasion to exercise that supernatural gift of, of knowledge, this would have been the case. Uh, and I want to say something here in just a minute after we look at the, the issue with Sapphira as to, to, to why. Uh, this needed to happen here. Mm-hmm. Um, say something about uh, there in verse three. You know where Peter says, "You know Satan has filled your heart." Um, it's, this is not Peter saying, "You know the devil made you do it." That's mm-hmm. it's not that. It's just Satan has clearly influenced you, and you have given in to that. Uh, just like with Judas and every other example that we read in the Bible of, you know, where it says that Satan did something with them. Uh, they still made the choice, but they allowed Satan to have way more influence than than was needed. And it's just interesting the way that Peter says, you told this lie not just to me. Yeah. I'm not worried about you telling the lie to me. I'm not worried about you telling the lie to the rest of the congregation. Mm-hmm. It's more so that you've done this against the Holy Spirit of God. It makes me immediately think in Genesis chapter 39 whenever uh, Joseph is... You know, being uh, pulled by Potiphar's wife to to come and and lie with her, and Joseph says, "How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God?" Mm-hmm. Yes, it would have been a sin against would have been a sin against Potiphar's wife, would have been a sin against Potiphar, would have been a sin against Joseph's own body, but above everything else, it was a sin against God. And that's what Peter wants to put the emphasis here. You, you've you've committed this sin against against the Lord, and he repeats that there at the end of. Uh, verse 4, you've not lied to man, but to God. Yeah, and I think that that shows why it's such a big deal. You know, who, who, who's getting hurt from this? You know, yeah. it's, it's a, a little white lie, as we would say. But uh, it's, it's much deeper than that, and I think we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more here in a minute. But um, I'm just seeing so much here uh, about, uh, you know, the, you think, was, was this a noble thing to sell your land and give it to you know, the poor? Or to, to help this situation. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a way to do good things in a bad way? Mm-hmm. Apparently so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we see, and Satan's behind that. How many things in our lives do we, we, do we try to say, I'm doing this for good or I'm trying to help people, when really we have some ulterior motives there that we're not being quite honest uh, with ourselves even yeah. and with others. Uh, and I think that this is a good guide to show us that uh, your attitude matters mm-hmm. um, and your intentions your motives, behind yeah. this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, maybe one of the easiest parallels, since this is kind of talking about a charitable deed, is in our in our social media culture. Oh yeah, it's it's so tempting to want to 
to do what Jesus warned against when he talked about in Matthew chapter 6. You know, don't be doing your alms to be seen by others. And that, that happens a lot. Uh, and the temptation. To your trumpet before you yes. get the money. Yeah, yeah. we're going we're gonna to trumpet what we've done, and we want to make sure that we receive the, the praise and adulation of others. And it seems like that probably is kind of what's going on here with Ananias and Sapphira, that they, they kind of wanted folks to, to think highly of them. They're, they're big givers. Yeah, I mean, yeah. wow, look how generous and charitable and all. Oh, they have such a heart for other people. Hmm. Um, they just missed it. Um, yeah. And that's 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 it's evident that that was not their motive. And God was able to see something that the that the rest of us are not. And that is God. Not only is God able to see the truth in this, but God was able to see the heart and and what was going on in their heart. And that's why I, clearly the Lord was so offended that He caused Ananias to fall down and die on yeah. the spot. Yeah. Um, and that ought to say something to us about the the gravity and the seriousness of checking our motives for why we do what we do. I'm not saying. If we have a bad motive in something we're doing, that God's going to strike us dead on the spot today. Mm-hmm. But God's done that before, and and it just says something to me about I'm going to have to answer for that. Yeah, um, yeah. We we see here obviously there's a physical death, uh, maybe to signify something greater, which is you know our spirit, our, our spirit. When yeah. we experience spiritual death, and we can. Uh, I think that that's that's something that we uh, see throughout Acts. There are ways that Christians can can do or say things uh, that will separate us from God spiritually. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the danger for us right now is that sometimes we don't feel that, we don't see it, and we don't even realize what's going on there. Yeah, yeah. One of the things, and I, and I've I remember talking about this passage once before with somebody who was who had a lot of skepticism about the Bible, and, and this was a passage that bothered them, you know, well, what kind of God would do that? And these people just made one mistake. Well, maybe one of the things that it's worth us keeping in mind is the Bible doesn't tell us everything about Ananias and Sapphira. For all we know, these two have maybe been kind of behind the scenes, you know, where the Bible isn't telling us. Maybe these, these, these people were just... You know, kind of con artists and and um, troublemakers all along. God was able to know that, and and maybe this instance was just the last straw with them. Actions reflect the heart, and so yes, um, yeah. It, usually, it's it's this doesn't seem like uh, oh one time thing. Yeah, you know, right. It was uh, maybe a, a lifestyle of wanting to be seen, but not you know truly yes. doing the right thing. Well, the interesting thing is uh, is that um, this is not the end of the story. Uh, there's there's more. Right? We're told there in verse five that great fear does come upon all who hear it, um, and. The fear, maybe, I'm sure there's some of this that's fear that's like, you know, kind of a frightened fear. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the other aspect of that fear is there's a heavier amount of respect going on here. Fear for the Lord and what the Lord can do and how serious God takes sin. This is a great passage to just point out how seriously God takes sin and how seriously mm-hmm. we need to take it as well. Um, so after taking him out and burying him, there's the opportunity uh, to confront the wife. Evidently, she did not know what had happened with her husband yet. So verse 7, after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. What's Peter doing there? 
Well, a couple things. She, he's giving her the chance mm-hmm. to possibly do the right thing. Yep. Um, but he is not giving her any wiggle room at all um, because she's going to have to, to fess up um, to what she did, either by telling the truth or by you know continuing in the lie. Yeah. There was, this is an episode sometime back. I walk into the bathroom and the, the towel bar is completely broken and laying on the ground. Mm. And, you know, big hole in the, two holes in the wall from where the bar was, was mounted. And I go and ask my wife, first of all, and she's like, I have no idea. Well, there's only one other person that lives in our house. <laughs> and at that time, she would have been about four years old, probably. Uh-huh. Three, four years old. I walk in. I just hold the evidence in front of her. And I say, Hattie. <laughs> Go ahead, tell me what happened. Mm-hmm. And there was that moment of, you could just see it on her face of, she knew she had been caught. But what followed out of her mouth was not just a downright confession mm-hmm. of, I was hanging on the bar, which is what <laughs> she was clearly doing. Um, it was just uh, trying to talk around everything. Well, it was up there, and then it was down, yeah. and I didn't know. And it, no, stop. And that was yeah. kind of uh, that, that's one of the earliest teaching moments I remember with a child. And it's kind of funny because that, I mean, it's kind of what Peter's doing here. It's he's kind of treating uh, you know fire like a child here, almost kind of like, yeah. All right, look, here you go. I'm putting it right in front of you. Mm-hmm. What are you gonna say? Yeah. And to her discredit. Um, she ends up just going along with the lie, and that ties back to what was said earlier in the in the passage, verse two, that this was done together. Right. Um, which we could probably make just a side point here about we talk about the influence of of Satan in in their hearts, but let's talk for a second about the influence that they had on each other. Yeah, I don't know who came up with the idea necessarily first. It, it mm. kind of almost sounds like from verse one in verse 2, that maybe it was Ananias' idea. Possibly. And then with her knowledge, she just kind of agreed to it. But regardless, one or the other had to say to them, hey, we ought to do this. Right. And the other then followed that. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, if you're married, generally speaking, there's not going to be anybody else in your life that's going to have a greater influence on the decisions that you make and just the things that you do and what you're about than the person with which you share your bed each night. Mm -hmm. And... And that ought to serve as a word of caution, uh, to, especially to young people and unmarried people um, who one day hope to be married. You be very careful about, about who you choose to marry and make sure that they're going to influence you in the, in the correct way. Um, because here's a case where uh, this husband and wife ended up influencing each other to their death. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. And just to be blunt about it. And I mean, just think, this is something that they probably thought, man, what could go wrong? Yeah. You know, is this is such a small, insignificant thing, and who's going to know this? Obviously, it's not going to hurt anybody. Right. But, We're still doing a yeah. good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's all kinds of ways that they must have justified this uh, in their mind, uh, but in the end, it, it runs up to a brick wall. Verse 9, But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. My goodness. That is, it sends a chill just to imagine those being the last words that you hear 
Yeah. The, the people who buried your husband, they're here to, they're knocking at your door. Uh, right. That's yeah. just, uh, I don't know. Like you can only imagine the kind of the, the terror that must have struck her at that moment if it wasn't already evident. I, I think of the Old Testament about that story of Achan mm. when, when, when he got discovered um, with, with, with his sin from taking the devoted things in Joshua chapter 6 and then chapter 7 is the story of Achan. But we're told in Joshua 7 that like um, there was this process of the casting of the lots until finally it came down to Achan. It was by the, the tribe and then by the family and then by the household and then the man. And I just always think about during that, I don't know how long that lasted, but you have to imagine just slowly over time, Aiken, like his heart rate is just like building and building and building until finally it falls to him. Yeah. And it's like, what were you thinking? Yeah. Why, why weren't you just upfront about this? Come out with it. Kind of yeah. makes me wonder if, if, if Sapphira had just been honest with Peter's question, if she had just said, we, we lied about that and we're sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, Wonder if maybe she would have been granted, you know, mercy, um, and and her life would have been spared. Um, don't yeah, know. Maybe so, but I mean, there's no way to tell because she did the wrong thing. Yeah, she did the wrong thing. She, yeah. We're going to double down on our on our lie here, and verse ten. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Um, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now. I believe that this episode uh, happened for several of the reasons that we've already mentioned, but, but one of them is to set an example here very early on in the life of, of the church, in the life of the Lord's people. And I think this very much parallels what we see in the Old Testament early on in the history of the Israelite nation in Leviticus chapter 10. Because in the first couple of verses of that chapter, we're told about Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, and how they uh, went out and they offered uh, strange, unauthorized fire uh, on the altar of the Lord. And what did the Lord do there? The Lord struck them dead on the spot. Yeah. And we read that story, and we read this story, and it's easy to say, man, that just seems so harsh, or that just seems over, it, 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 that's just overkill for, for what this called for. But I think it's God sending a clear message here in both of these covenants at the early stages of His people that, that, that my house, my people, my church, it's not going to be a haven for sin. Mm -hmm. um, now, we all sin. Yes, that's true. But I think the Lord saw something in those cases, that there was something egregious, uh, that there was just willful rebellion happening. And this is God sending a message to say, that's not what my family's going to be about. Mm -hmm. That We're not going to tolerate that. Now, I don't think either of those cases gives us the license today to, well, let's just execute anybody in our ranks that, <laughs> you know, is, you know, goes off and commits adultery or whatever other kind of uh, egregious sin that we might uh, think of. Um, but it does help us to understand passages like 1 Corinthians 5 and those other right. chapters in the Bible that talk about the idea of withdrawing ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, in, in many ways, um, that's a much lighter penalty yeah. than what Nadab and Abihu and Ananias and Sapphira had to suffer for their willful sin. And yeah. all of that is designed um, 
to, to send a clear message, and so that the 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 lump is not leavened, so to speak. Right. Because if this had just gone on unchecked, there's no telling what would have happened within that early congregation in Jerusalem. And we we have so many instances here where the church is in its infancy and and it's just growing that they need to see what God expects and what God thinks about certain things. Yep. You know, we've already seen a great show of unity. That's that should be a mark of a, a good solid uh, you know group of the Lord's people. Uh, we saw in chapter 4 verse 31 after they prayed together God hears prayer. God answers prayer, um, and so they get a very visible demonstration of that. Uh, I think we need to see the same thing on the opposite end of the spectrum when they're not not doing things according mm-hmm. to what God expects. Uh, yeah, when there's sin, what happens when there's sin that nobody else knows about it? Uh, does does God care about that? Does God hear hear what I say? Does God see what I think? Yeah, you know? and that's a great point. They hear, yes, He does, mm-hmm. uh, and and He cares about it. Yeah. Um, well, and the effect, once again, at the end of verse 11, is, is great fear comes upon the whole church. But then there's this added note that great fear also comes upon all those who heard of these things. I think that's evidence that yeah. people who were not even uh, Christians yet, they heard about that. And it caused them to, yeah, if nothing else, to kind of have pause for a second and to think about the significance of that. Um, what we're going to find, though, is that that actually does not hinder the growth of the church. Yeah. Uh, actually, we're going to find that it has quite the opposite effect, which is kind of what God intends for that. When we talk about church discipline and those things, it's actually intended to have a positive effect. We get so you know, tunnel-visioned on the, the negative aspects of that, but there are so many more positive aspects of it. And here's a good example of that. This is, the, this is probably the most extreme case of church discipline, uh, <laughs> but it has a significant... Uh, Response. So verse 12 continues on. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Notice verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that, even, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, that at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Uh, that, that statement in verse 14 about more than ever uh, believers were added to the Lord, that's a good illustration of that. When the body purges sickness, then the body is able to function and to flourish and to, to, to grow and, and be well like it's mm-hmm. supposed to. We understand that in our physical bodies, and so it is in, in the body of Christ as well. Um, lots of other little details given here. What else jumps out at you from 12 through 16? Well, the big thing here is, you know, I, I keep coming back to there's, there's this notion, I think a false notion in the world today, well, in, in the church, in a lot of churches anyway, that in order to bring members in, what we have to do is we have to, well, sugarcoat the gospel. Mm-hmm. We can't give people the full gospel because, I mean, it, it would scare them away. There's yeah. no way that we would get members to come in. And, and so what do we have to do? Well, we have to feed them, you know, give them food, get them to come in, have you know, different sports and activities for them to do and to enjoy. And then, you know, we could sprinkle some gospel in there. And yeah, we'll slide in that harsh stuff under all the cotton candy that we'll feed you. Yeah, it, it helps soften the blow a little yeah. bit. 
Uh, but I don't think that that's, that's how the church was growing here. You mm-hmm. know, you, you definitely don't see that. They're not pushing anything under the rug. They're not hiding anything. They're being absolutely honest. Were there some people that did not listen and uh, were afraid to join? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but were there still people who were faithful and who you know came? Obviously, fourteen there. And there yep. were a lot that were added to the number. So we can't rely on our own methods and our own uh, you know wishes and desires for what we want the church to be, uh, because that's not, that's not going to be effective. We're not going to get the people there that need to be there. Yeah. Um, um, there's those notes at the end of that little paragraph there, verses um, fifteen and sixteen about. Uh, and, and I think this shows, you know, how the apostles more and more were being um, held up um, yeah. and uh, being elevated, and hopefully not in a bad way. But 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 there could be some kind of lines being crossed here a little bit. There in verse fifteen, when it talks about that people were just bringing them out in the streets in hopes that the just the shadow of Peter might uh, cause them to be healed. There may be some kind of I don't know. Possibly there may be some thoughts of superstitions there uh, at work. Or, if you want to think of it in a positive standpoint, it may just be people who have such great faith that those are men sent from God, that those are men upon whom God's Spirit is clearly upon, um, that uh, I'm willing to try anything uh, yeah. in order to access the, the, the mercy and uh, the blessings that God is, is causing to come about through them. Um, and that's probably maybe how we ought to look at it is think of it in the, the most positive light. Uh, I mean, we see, we see that's sort of the same thing with Paul later on in, mm-hmm. in chapter 19, verse 12, uh, when we have this thing with the handkerchiefs. Uh, you think about Jesus when yep. he was able to heal somebody. Well, actually, it doesn't say that he had intention to heal. The lady just came up and grabbed his Touches his the hem. Yeah, yeah. And, that was, and that was it. Uh, and that that was more more so showing the faith of the people. Yeah. Um, you know what kind of medical sense does it mean? As long as the this person's shadow crosses your path, you know that doesn't do anything. But yeah. No, it's it's the Lord and the Lord's at work here. And I think the people are correctly identifying where the power lies. Um, they realize uh, who the truth is coming through. And yeah. I think that again we've talked about the purpose of miracles and why. Um, but people were respecting people like Peter. Uh, but it wasn't just, remember, we've seen already so many times Peter explaining and preaching and, and reasoning from the scriptures. Yes. Um, and they're seeing his authority uh, biblically, biblically, you know, through the Lord. Yeah. And, well, here just a second, we're going to see them get arrested again. And they're not being arrested for the miracles. They're being arrested right. for the teaching that is accompanying those miracles. And um, that's where they end up getting into trouble is is because of they're saying things that, you know, rubs the Jewish establishment the wrong way. Yeah. Um, so let's just notice that, verse 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. Um, just pause right there for a second. Um, we're introduced here to uh, one of the the Jewish sects at that time uh, who had clearly some sway, and that is this group known as the Sadducees. And we get information from other passages um, later here in Acts, actually, mm-hmm. Go back to Mark chapter 12 as well. Uh, when Jesus had encounters with these guys, we, we learned some little tidbits about them. 
And well, well, let's let's not spoil it just yet. Oh, let's that's talk. Fair. Yeah, that's let's fair. let's just take note of the Sadducees here, uh, as the apostles are thrown into prison. Verse nineteen. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out, and said, "Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life." And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Let's stop there in the middle of verse twenty-one. So. Speaking of the Sadducees, what what's the great irony here with what we uh, learn there from verse 19? Well, we find out in, from Acts 23, verse 8, that the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor an angel, nor a spirit. Uh, now, the Sadducees were the ones who locked these guys up, and lo and behold, the one who released them, it was an angel. Yeah. So the, the the thing that doesn't exist let the people out. That's it's almost like God. You know, people say God doesn't have a sense of humor. This is the kind of thing that makes me chuckle. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is divine irony. Um, you know, the Lord just can't. It's kind of like in the the plagues of Egypt. You know, all of the plagues that were rained down were all like, in one way or another, direct attacks on the various gods that the Egyptians worshipped. Right. And this is, this is the Lord just saying, you boneheads, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, and the, he's kind of doing that here with the Sadducees. Um, they've already, and I think we maybe noticed this in a previous chapter, you know, they, they rejected the resurrection, and that, of course, is, is, is one of the huge messages that uh, Peter and the apostles are, are preaching. Uh, now they, you know, uh, totally against angels, and God's going to use angels here, and God's going to continue to use angels uh in, in a powerful way. Uh, and even, maybe just ought to say as well, even when we read about these specific instances where angels did something amazing and it was clear and obvious, even if those didn't weren't told to us, we can also be sure that there's angels working all the time on behalf of God's people. Think about what's said in the book of Hebrews about how they're ministering spirits and they're laboring on our behalf to help us and uh, even though we may not see these kinds of clear manifestations like the apostles got, we can rest assured God's using those uh, those created beings, and that is what they are. They're they're special created beings, uh, but they're working on our behalf, and it may be in a completely you know behind the scenes sort of way, um, but they are there to help us. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting if you read through the first three chapters of Ephesians, you, you hear a lot about the heavenly places and, mm-hmm. and the, the, the spirits in the heavenly places and the beings there. And it's like, well, what is that? Yeah. Um, and and so there's there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that we don't see, you know, uh, passages like in Daniel, uh, around Daniel 9, when, when you see all of the, the angels and what's going on, it, it just blows our mind because we don't see that. It, and right. we have physical lives and, and that sort of thing. But... Uh, we know that there's a lot more at work than what we see. Yeah, and I think probably maybe the reason the Lord chooses to record some of these instances where where an angel very clearly and kind of openly acted is is kind of to help reinforce that in our minds uh, right. that yeah, the angels have done this in the past, and we can rest assured they're they're helping us in various ways today. Um, the, the instruction of the angels or the angel is pretty clear here, and that is get out of here. Mm-hmm. But then furthermore. Go right back to the temple. You know, go right back to the very place where where you were arrested, and you keep speaking what you were speaking before. So go back to doing the very thing that got you in trouble in the first place. 
Just keep on doing it. Makes I, sense. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love the, the wording here. Speak to the people all the words of this life. Um, life there in, in my translation is, is capitalized. Yeah. Um, it, it's obviously, it's a reference to Jesus. Um, and, and that's just a, a wonderful description of, of the Lord that He is life. Uh, he is to be our life. Colossians chapter 3 talks about. Um, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. Um, and that just kind of adds a, a, an additional flavor and component to we think about Jesus and who He is and what He does. Um, and to the apostles' credit, um, they go right back to doing it. Yeah. Which is very bold. I mean, and we'll probably use that word a couple more times before we get out of this chapter. Mm. Um, I wonder how, you know, whether I would have the boldness to do that. I'd like to think that if an angel broke me out of prison and told me to do it, I would do it. Hmm. Hope so. Yeah, um, but I, I wonder if if I was arrested for, you know, um, preaching, you know, God forbid that that would ever reach that point in this country. But if that ever happened, and then I get out of jail, um, would I still have the the courage and the conviction? to just go right back to doing what I was doing before. Um, I'd like to hope that I would. Mm -hmm. um, I realize it's easy to say, oh yeah, I will, but I don't want to be like Peter and you know, say something that I don't end up backing up, but my, my prayer would be that I would. And I always appreciate when brothers lead us in prayer and they, you know, they, they, they pray that, Lord, we, we desire for the freedoms that we enjoy in this country to continue on, but if they do not, we pray that you would help us to have the courage and the strength to just keep on doing what we're doing regardless. You never know when some kind of government mandate could come out that, yeah. that says, no, you, you can't worship, you can't do these things. You know, how, how easy would it been, have been, well, besides the fact that the angel told them to go speak there specifically again, but, you know, seeing that, oh, well, look, God's let me out of this. Maybe that means I just need to go and maybe I could still preach, but maybe not right here. Yeah. You know, let me go down down the road a little bit to yeah. where, like, Some I'm area not or somewhere. In, yeah, exactly. Uh, just so I'm not going to be in harm's way again. Uh, because I'm, I'm still preaching. I'm just, you know, I'm not going to do it out in the open. Yeah. Because, you know, that's just asking for it. Well, there's there, the, and that's not the route that they take. Uh, when it's daybreak, they go to the temple, begin to teach. Pick up again in verse 21. Now, when the high priest came, and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and they sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guard standing at the door. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. I've mentioned that there's lots of these little kind of, I think, kind of callbacks and echoes from things that we've seen in the Gospels and even things from the Old Testament. But this, in many ways, reminds me of of what happened with Jesus at the tomb, or at the tomb of Jesus. Um, yeah. It's found empty, and the officials were flabbergasted, and able, and they weren't able to explain it. Uh, in fact, in Jesus's case with his tomb, you know, well, let's make up a story to try to help make sense to everybody else and we save face a little bit. Mm. Um, but that's what happens here. Um, the, the, the prison cell is, is empty and what, what do we say? You have to imagine, <laughs> I don't know, maybe there was a Sadducee that maybe was starting to second guess. You know what? Maybe that angel thing is, uh, maybe I need to come back off of that a little bit. You yeah. know, who knows? Yeah. 
Um, verse 24, Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly easy for you to say, perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. So here are the apostles. They are, they are not hiding. They are right there in public. They are in you know, what's arguably one of the most open locations in Jerusalem. And there's, there's, well, there's no indication that there's fear on their part. We're just yeah. going to do it. Um, yeah. I, I've heard, heard it said before uh, that courage and bravery is, it, it, it's not the absence of fear, but it's moving forward even in fear. Mm. And so even if the apostles did have some fear, it, they're not letting that cause them to sit. It's causing them to move forward. Uh, they're being directly obedient to the instructions that the angel of the Lord had, had given them. And, um, and like you said a second ago, there's not any kind of, well, let's find some way to kind of compromise that a little bit. And, well, we'll kind of partially obey, but not fully obey. Nope, we're doing exactly as as the Lord had instructed us. I mean, to further this point, man, just think about who was in charge of the temple grounds and, and they're right there. Well, the high priest mm -hmm. and the Sadducees, uh, the very people who were looking for him. Yeah. I mean, so if, if you could go to any place that would be more obvious, there's not. Yeah. You know, it's just right there. It's literally, it's it's like right out the window is kind of the way I take uh, it, you know. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, yeah, and I think we maybe mentioned in one of the previous episodes is that um, it, it's been said some of the uh, commentators and some of the even the writers of, of, of secular history at that time that the Sanhedrin Council actually met uh, right there in that kind of first grounds of the temple complex. So we're meeting here on Solomon's porch or in that area, and again, we're like, we may just be a matter of feet or yards away from these guys. How much more you know, gall could you have and, and, and boldness. Right. That's the word. It's boldness. Yeah, it is. Uh, does that call for? And uh, I think that that's intentional on the Lord's part to tell them to go to that place. Um, this is the Lord wanting to send a message. It's not the apostles deciding, hey, we need to send a message. No, this is God saying, I'm sending a message to these people that uh, my word is going to be taught uh, and it's going to be spread and it's not going to be stifled by uh, human intervention. Uh, it's not gonna. It's not gonna put a stop to it. Yeah. Uh, I wonder make, what it may would... cause some roadblocks, but it's not gonna stop it. Yeah. No. Exactly. I, I wonder what it would have been like uh, to be maybe the captain here with the officers that are going back to to go and get these guys from the temple. You know, they're teaching there. It's like, man. I, I think that they would have probably been afraid and, mm -hmm. and maybe scared. And and we see that that's indicated here. Yeah. Um, that they are. Uh, but it's, you see some, the actions, the way the apostles handle this, man, it, it's just, they are, are respectful. It doesn't seem like they were just like, nah, you can't get me. Uh, yeah. You know, and they they went without violence and, and they, they went seemingly willingly. Yeah. Well, let's notice that, verse 27. When they had brought them, brought the apostles, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, 
and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Now here's, once again, one of those occasions where we're just refusing to invoke the name of Jesus, huh. uh, refusing yep. to invoke, uh, we're, just, we're dancing around the obvious. We, we all yeah. know what you're saying, but you're just not saying it. Um, and I think, again, that's probably an indication these people know that somewhere in their mind, they are acting contrary to, 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 to what they know really is right. Um, mm-hmm. And they said, you all are intending to bring this man, this man Jesus, his blood upon us. Now, that's an interesting thing to say, yeah. considering what some of these very same people had said just a few weeks earlier. Right, exactly. Matthew twenty-seven, twenty-five. Mm-hmm. These were the very people who were screaming and crying out, "Ah, let his blood be upon us. We we take responsibility for it." That's what they were shouting out to Pilate and <laughs> deliver him over to us to be crucified. And we'll we'll take all the responsibility for it. Well, now, no, 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 no. Don't you dare try to put that on us. That's not our fault. Huh. I don't know. That's it. There's just something. You just want to smack somebody when they say things like this. Talking out of both sides of your mouth there a little bit. Um, Verse 29, here's the response of Peter. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. And so there's just, I have every reason to believe that Peter said all this in the most respectful manner possible. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not like purposely trying to pick a fight here. Um, you've placed us in a position where we're, you know, we're adversaries here. Um, but he just kind of starts with affirming just the, the truth that undergirds everything about what they're doing, we have to obey God rather than you guys. It's like, I, I'm sorry. I mean, we don't, we don't have a choice about that. I mean, that's, that's the way that it works. And um, th- that's a principle that is a, a far-reaching principle. That certainly would apply when it comes to, you know, the, the laws and the, 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 the demands of a government or some other kind of a, a, a leading official. Um, that would apply in other venues as well. You know, that would apply in your workplace. You know, if you've got a boss that's telling you, hey, you need to fudge those numbers so that the reports come out even and we're not in the hole, that's a moment where a Christian's going to have to say, I, I can't do that. Right? So I know that's what you're telling me to do, and I know that you're my superior, but that's wrong. That's sinful. i got to obey God rather than men. Um, maybe a really hard place to have to apply that principle would be in a family. Think about a child who has a parent that wants them to be involved in something that they know is wicked and wrong. Um, and for a child who has been given instructions by God to obey your parents, but that's also qualified by obey your parents in the Lord. Right. Um, if what your parents are telling you to do, if it's in keeping with the Lord's will, then you should do it. But in this particular instance, if what they're telling you to do is not in keeping with the Lord's will, you're going to have to figure out a way to say, I can't do that. Right, and if it puts you on the wrong end of your boss, cause you to get fired. If it puts you on the wrong end of your parents, and your parents, you know, punish you in some way, so be it. And that's what I love about Peter's response: is Peter is not reasoning from consequences. There's not really any concern about I mean, you guys do what you got to do. You know, I'm not, we're not really worried about that. The only thing we're worried about is just doing what God says. 
Yeah, and it's it's so impressive just to hear the attitude because the very last chapter that we read, he said something similar. Now that time it, it was more of what well, you be the judge, which yeah. one should we do? Uh, here he's been a little bit more you know straight to the point. Clearly, I think, you didn't get it the first time, so <laughs> exactly. I'll just spell it out for you. Exactly. Yeah. But you know, still with a, with an attitude of respect, I, I don't see him being disrespectful. You know, verse twenty six. Remember, they were they came back without violence, and so they they were willing in this. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't have to be disrespectful in the way that we uh, you know say things. It's like you know, if, if someone asks us to do something ungodly. Uh, we can't just yell at them and you know storm off. You know, right. That's not not the approach there. I think what what helps more is when we do the right thing in the right way. You know, and and two, you think how how difficult it is if we have made a, a, a firm stand for the Lord once, and we get some uh, you know flack from that, and we we get some people trying to do something to us. Uh, sometimes what happens is is we're like, oh, man, I tried, you know, I tried to do the right thing, and, mm-hmm. and it's just it's crumbling. The world's crumbling around me. It's not going to work out, uh, and so we we still have to stand firm. And you know, even if you know we think that we've exhausted all of our uh, options, and, and I, I just can't do the right thing. Yeah, you can. There's always a way. You'll mm-hmm. find a way. Yeah, this is. Um, this would be the very definition to me of, of civil disobedience. Yeah. We're, we're, we're going to have to decline what you're telling us to do, but we're going to do that in a civil way. Um, and uh, th- that's, you know, like I said, God forbid that that would ever come to this kind of a place in our country, but if man's law conflicts with God's law, um, we need to be ready to, to, to do this very same thing. Um, yeah. Without... You know, rioting and yes. you know, busting up storefronts and stealing all the toilet paper or whatever. <laughs> yeah, uh, or even you know, even to a lesser degree, but it's kind of the same thing where we just you know we, we use Facebook and we just rant against uh, you know how how evil our our leaders, our governor, or whoever else is. Um, come on, that's what, what 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 kind of a message are we sending um that th- that doesn't glorify god in any kind of way it doesn't shine shine a, a good light on 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 god's people and on god's way to people who are outside of christ um i would like to think you know if i'd have just been maybe one of the standerbys there uh on this occasion and i would have seen peter's response i would have you know if i was someone one of these people that didn't really have convictions one way or the other mm-hmm. this would have left an impression on me Oh, for sure. The way that he responds here. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's not, he doesn't respond in a way that's like, you have offended me, and I personally don't agree with the stance you're taking on it. Right. You know, it's, it's this is what God says, this is what God expects, and this is what God has done. Yeah. Um, and so it's all about the Lord. Yeah, that's just, this is just what we have to do. Um, I, I really like the wording of verse 31 when he talks about how uh, the Lord gives or grants repentance. Mm, um, yeah. That's a very different way of, of thinking about repentance. Repentance is lots of times thought of as like this terrible, hard, burdensome thing. It's a curse almost. But Peter speaks of it, and God clearly sees it as being, it's an opportunity. I mean, it, yeah. it's a privilege that God allows us the chance to repent and to turn back to Him. And... Um, this is Peter kind of in a not-so-subtle way kind of saying, 
God's given you guys that opportunity. Mm, you know, you right. Sanhedrin council guys, you guys have the chance to do that as well. It's for everybody. That's that was the good thing about this message that they were preaching. That this is not just for uh, certain individuals. Now, this is this is for all people. Anybody who wants to repent and receive forgiveness can can do that. Yeah, sometimes we don't view that aspect as as a gift that comes from God. But you know, Peter, same guy, writes uh, a whole book, uh, a whole letter, First Peter, mm-hmm. about the grace of God and how grace of God allows us to have a new birth, a new identity, uh, to be able to not be a slave to our sin anymore. That we are able to change and become holy like God is holy. And, mm-hmm. and we can become like God wants us to be. Um, and he, he expresses that as a grace. And so we need to see it more like that. We, yeah. you know, it, it's something that, that is a gift that comes from God. It would be worth pointing out, too, Peter bookends his response here with obedience. Did you notice that? Right. This is the beginning, we must obey God. And then the very last words at the end of verse 32, to those who obey Him. Uh, there is no doubt. Are, are we saved by God's grace? Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. I will not deny that at all. Are we saved by faith? Yes, we are. But obedience, our obedience to Him cannot be diminished. It is critically important. We see that littered all throughout uh, the very words of, of, of the apostles here. and uh, they're, they're not just teaching it, but they're living it. Verse 33, When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Um, this is actually the same kind of language that's used, going to be used here in a couple chapters mm-hmm. um, when we hear of, of Stephen after he has the opportunity to give a defense and really preach a sermon to these guys. The response is going to be rage and they want to kill him. Yeah. And unfortunately in Stephen's case, they're going to. Yeah. In this case though, uh, there's, not, uh, there's not going to be any executions happening because, verse 31, But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, he stood up and he gave orders to put those men outside for a little while. Now, as best we can tell, this seems to be the same fella who's going to pop up, his name's going to pop up a little bit later in the Bible story, Mm -hmm. uh, as being the same Gamaliel who was the teacher of a young guy by the name of Saul, who would then become Paul. And um, Paul even would kind of, you know, kind of. It seems like he's kind of commending Gamaliel. He grew up learning at his at his feet, and this guy was very wise and knowledgeable as a teacher. And that's going to be kind of evident right here that Gamaliel has some some wisdom. He clearly has some influence to where he's able to kind of just stop everybody that's kind of running on their emotional response, and he's able to just kind of step back and. Think of this from a reasonable standpoint, and and when he kind of gets everybody's attention, it's clear that everybody everybody's going to give him their attention and and listen to what this guy has to say. He's held in honor uh, by all the people. The text says so. He says, "Hey, let's have these guys step out for a second. Let me put my two cents in here." Mm-hmm. So his two cents is this, verse thirty-five. He said to them, "Men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men." For before these days, Theudius rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. But he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed, and they came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census, and he drew away some of the people after him. But he too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. 
So verse 38, in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men. Let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of a man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. Just stop right there. Um, this guy clearly, he knows some stuff. And uh, oh, yeah. he's able to, to quickly recall some, some episodes in history. He mentions two specific episodes where there were a couple of different men. And actually, you read some secular history books, and you'll read about uh, the specific undertakings of, of these two men, Theudius and uh, Judas the Galilean, and how um, they rose up pretending to be some big someone, whether they claimed to be you know messengers of God or just great men, you know, Jesus talked about, and he kind of even warned the apostles that, that there would come a time when people would come along and claim to be the Messiah. Right. Uh, and it's funny because 2,000 years later, we still have people that are doing that today. <laughs> we do. Um, yeah. And uh, in fact, I was driving down the road the other day and I was pretty sure I saw one. Uh, he, he had long hair and... Uh, he had signs that had wording on it that was uh, biblical or at least you know, uh, sounding biblical in nature. And uh, I, I wondered if maybe he was uh, such a person. Uh, but in those two cases that he cites, um, yeah, they accumulated a little bit of a following. Obviously, the following that, that Theudas and, and Judas accumulated to them wasn't even near to the level of the following that has already accumulated here in Jerusalem uh, with the apostles' teaching, 400 joining Theudas, and it didn't even mention specifically how many with Judas. Um, but he says, it all ended up coming to nothing with those guys. Yeah. You know, and so um, it'd be like, you know, what if you jumped into the middle of, of those guys' little uh, uprisings? It would have been a waste of your time. It, it was going to yeah. come to nothing anyway. Uh, those guys were hucksters and false prophets and uh, they really weren't anything. Um, and he's saying, we, we probably ought to apply that same principle here with these fellows. Yeah. And, you know, you think about uh, if somebody's alive and getting a following, there's a lot of people that respect them. But when they're killed, you know, eventually, it doesn't matter who you are, you're going to be forgotten. You mm -hmm. know, people are going to forget and they're, they're not going to really care that much about it. Um, and so I, I think that these people it just illustrates that um, you know your following will will disperse. You know, and I think that this helps us to see a couple things. One, that um, you know if we try to be someone great on our own, that's only going to last you know maybe while we're alive, even if that long. Yeah. Um, but you know that that fizzles out. Um, but I think what we're seeing here is that, you know, Jesus, and I think the implication here that, that we should be understanding is Jesus is much more than that. Yes. Um, and and we've, we've seen several times the apostles talking about how they were witnesses of the resurrection. Yes. And that's, that is the, the key that separates it. There's always going to be these Johnny-come-latelys, uh, and this has continued to happen for the last 2,000 years. And I'm just thinking of just instances in my own lifetime uh, maybe just right before my lifetime was was Jim Jones and all of the followers that he accumulated down with um, you know the, the the people's temple. Uh, they, I mean, quite literally like this, it, it came to naught. 
Um, I think about the David Koresh and the compound down in Waco came to naught. Uh, the more peculiar one, I had to look it up just while you were talking there a second ago, Marshall Applewhite with the Heaven's Gate and oh, uh, some yeah. of the weirdness with that. Uh, but that all came to naught. And and, and I, I do remember those names right now because they were part of my lifetime. Right. But yeah. a generation or two from me, those names will be forgotten. And how many followers do they have right now? Yeah, you know, zero followers, I know. No, but time out. Hold up just a second because... I want to play devil's advocate a little bit here because we see these illustrations, we see the examples of people who have a massive following, but then they die and the people are scattered, and it's obvious, okay, well, that was obviously not from God because it didn't last. Is it possible that we can have a large group of people who claim to be following God who actually aren't? You know, are there cases where we there's a lot of people, maybe maybe not even following God, but following some type of religion or some sort of religious figure yeah. that uh, is not accurate and has lasted for you know tens, hundreds, thousands of years? Yeah, I, yeah, I yes. think so. Yeah, yeah absolutely. There's, 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 I think there's very obvious examples of that in the religious world. If uh, if we wanted to just maybe just pick on one, we could talk about like Islam. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. You know, they claim to follow, you know, that I, I will disagree that the God of Islam is the same as the God that, that, that we serve. They think it's the True. same God. But um, but still, uh, yeah, that's a, that, that, and that's a thriving r- religion. Yeah. And so um, even though they may not ha- have come to nothing yet, and even if they never do throughout the remainder of recorded history, mm-hmm. there is coming a day. Right when it will come to nothing, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, but, but especially in this instance, though that, that that this is just seems to be just a wise thing that Gamaliel is just kind of wanting to draw upon as a uh, as a potential point of of of, of you know consideration. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been other you know so-called religious groups that have started to form, and and they didn't really come to anything. But his point is is that if it really is something, and it really is from God then the last thing that we want to do is try to jump in there and stop it. Because, number one, we're not going to be able to stop it if it is from God. Mm-hmm. And then, number two, uh, we don't want to be guilty of trying to oppose God. Uh, and he had the, the keenness enough to, uh, to be aware of that. I don't want to be found as being an opponent of the Lord, uh, being on the wrong side of, of, of this equation, um, because th- that's not going to turn out to any kind of a good good conclusion for us. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I am very thankful for Gamaliel yes. right here. Yeah, yes. he's, he's a good character yes. uh, in, in this instance, anyway. I feel like I've known some Gamaliel-type people in my life, even in the church, who... Yeah. You know, maybe they don't, they're not the loudest and the most boisterous, and maybe they kind of listen more than they speak, but when they speak, you do listen. Yeah, yeah and, definitely. And that so. guy, that guy's been observing some things. He's been around a while. He knows what he's talking about. Um, and clearly, the, the rest of the council, they thought of Gamaliel in that way because the end of verse 39 says, So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. So, okay, we went from wanting to kill these guys to now we'll, we'll give them a spanking and tell them, don't say that anymore, yeah. get out of our face. Yeah. Um, from what we've already learned and seen of the apostles over the course of these first five chapters, uh, 
Um, I don't think it's much of a spoiler to guess what they're going to do. Right, yeah. No, definitely not. I mean, it, this has happened before. Yeah. You know, do they honestly expect them to not speak about Jesus anymore? Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. These guys are, uh, are, are devoted, and I, I love the reaction that, that's recorded for us in verse uh, 41. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Obviously for the name of Christ, the name that they, they were wearing as Christian. And it is interesting that later on, you mentioned First Peter uh, a minute ago. Yeah. Uh, Peter, one of the principal parties here, later on when he writes his first epistle, he, he says these very things. Verse, I, I'd like to just read these verses, verses 12 through 16 in First Peter chapter 4. He says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And Peter was able to write that because he had lived that. Um, That there uh, there is honor in suffering for the cause of righteousness. As he says there in verse 15 of, of that chapter in First Peter, that there's no honor in suffering for, for doing evil. Hey, you steal or you kill somebody and you go to jail for that or you get punished, hey, you deserve that. And there ain't nothing good to be said about that. But if you suffer because of standing up for what is right and doing the right thing, especially in the face of adversity, man, that, that, that's a time for rejoicing. And there is glory and honor in that and God... Uh, honors that uh, and recognizes that as being uh, something that will be to your credit and to your account. Yeah, I think a lot of times when we experience suffering or we under we, we, we are afraid of going through things like that, it's, it's just sometimes we think, man, what am I doing wrong because I'm going through this trial or this suffering or mm-hmm. this terrible experience? Well, maybe it's because you're doing something right. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, I think if, if we're living a life free of, of suffering and free of shame and free of, of, of any of this stuff, we need to reevaluate. Yeah, we're doing uh, something wrong. Yeah, we're not, because if we're not experiencing what Jesus experienced, we must not be doing what he did. Yeah. And there's benefits to it, too. I mean, you know, James chapter 1 talks about how uh, trials and testing, how those things help to d- develop us. Uh, Peter expounds on that in other places. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 5. Those things develop character and uh, and other godly uh, qualities um, you know just imagine this is you know so this is now the, the this second straight chapter where we've had the apostles being arrested and brought before this and um, just imagine the, the the strength that they would have had after this uh, second go-round with this and how that really is just preparing them for even greater things down the line and that is the way suffering is supposed to work that it's like a it's it's a cauldron that refines us and that's why you know the bible talks about that idea of you know being refined like like gold um and so peter saw that as a good thing and the other apostles saw that as a good thing and uh, it's so easy to look at the glass half empty but they were looking at it as the glass half full 
Yeah, even in Hebrews, it said says that Jesus learned obedience through yeah. the things that he suffered. Yep. And and so, do we think that we're going to get off easy on that because you know for whatever reason? But yeah. no, we're we're not better than Jesus, right? Obviously, and so uh, we have a, a lot of growth, and and maybe sometimes, not that we should ask for you know suffering, right. and Ask for these things, but uh, as we're going through them and as we experience them, realize well. Thank you, God, for making me stronger. Yep. Um, and so that that's what we need to keep coming back to. Yep. And I think that's why they were rejoicing, or one of the reasons they were rejoicing. Verse 42 sums it up. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ, the Messiah, is Jesus. So we see there in verse 42 that uh, the teaching continues both publicly and also privately. Um, there's a place for both of those things, and that's, that still needs to be the case here today. Um, well, in a sense, we're having a private Bible study right now. In public. And then when it gets put <laughs> online, as people are listening to this, it'll right. be very public. Yes. Um, but um, but it, just, it just made them even more devoted um, to uh, the work that they were doing and um, to probably just reinforce their faith even more to say even more confidently, Jesus is the Messiah. Yeah, I mean to keep in mind these are, are the group of people that they are helping with teaching, and the, those that are become believers are the same group that we talked about in verse fourteen, who who come through the the great adversity of seeing people literally being killed mm-hmm. uh, because of their sin, um, and it's you know all of this goes to strengthen them and strengthen their faith. Yes, and again, you know what kind of, of groups are we worshiping with? You know. What's what's our goals as a church? Mm-hmm. You know, are we trying to make life comfortable and easy? Yeah, I mean, we should need to be taking care of each other. But is our main focus on uh, comfort and, and fun, or is our main focus what does Jesus say? Yeah, let's be more like Him. Yeah. Well, that ends chapter five. On um, it, it's a high note that it ends on. Um, yeah. There's rejoicing and growth and continued teaching. Uh, but as is often the case through through Acts, um, it's kind of a roller coaster of, of ups and then some downs. And so mm. next week when we pick up in chapter six, it's going to begin with you know what, what's kind of a downer um, and, and how they're going to deal with that. Um, last words on chapter five before we before we bid adieu. Well, that that roller coaster thing, it's just like real life. In, in mm-hmm. our life, we experience uh, good times, bad times, and, and times in between. And, and so. Uh, no matter where we are uh, on that roller coaster, keep coming back to the Lord. You know, if you're suffering, praise God for it. You know, if if we're experiencing you know a great time of, of spiritual growth, praise God for it. Mm-hmm. And so there's always something to be said about praising the Lord, and that's that's why I just want to say, guys, keep studying. Yep. Well, uh, it's been just strengthening and faith building to uh, to get to observe these early Christians and. I look forward to looking at how they dealt with uh, some some internal problems uh, next time. A lot of these problems that we've looked at thus far have been kind of external problems. Chapter 6 is going to talk about how they dealt with problems internally, and so we'll look forward to talking about that next time. Thanks for listening.